The market is changing. We're going through a cookie nutty time right now. I want to be a sales rep when I grow up. <laughs> Breaking down for me. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, chat GPT. What do you wish you knew more about? How do we convert them? What's their first uh, touch point in our business? What's impacting their decision making? Where do they go for advice? Is it automated? Is it a human? Okay, let's go back to the top. Well, that was a great intro. There's not much more to say. Hello. It has been a whole season with me as a first-time host on What I Wish I Knew. We also had a second debut where we, for the first time, appeared on LinkedIn Live. Over the season, I spoke with leaders across a variety of different industries, and they told us a little bit about what they know, and they also told us what they'd like to know more about. Although we are all facing similar market conditions, it was interesting to hear how these different leaders um, are approaching the challenges in different ways. For today, what we're going to do is dig into several of the different insights. Let's dig into insight number one, the evolution of selling in the face of market disruption. I heard resoundingly across all of the different guests that we had that the nature of sales itself has changed. In fact, Amy Stevenson talks about the differences in the job itself. Bruce Jackson talks about how longer sales cycles, of course, impacts revenue coming in, but also has a negative impact on seller morale. So the big question is, how do you support sales success in this kind of a market? Sam Cockrell believes it's all about focusing on the ideal customer profile. In a world where you can literally try to sell into everyone and every business, focusing on the ideal company, the ideal person, and the types of problem your business is capable of solving, improves the likelihood of winning a deal. Even, Sam says, having a disqualification mindset, which I thought was very cool, to ensure you're not selling where you actually have no business selling. Sam also talks about something which I also thought was interesting, which is the locksmith moment and jobs to be done. He digs into how peeling back the onion of a sales problem can also help in ensuring you're selling the right solution. One particularly provocative moment for me is when Sam talks about firing a client who's not a great fit. Let's have a look. Over time, we combined our, our product features into an ecosystem and with loads of extra value came a new commercial model. Some of those customers, fortunately not many of them, um, they didn't change their usage patterns. They, they were keeping to the old habits um, despite fantastic UX and you know, a CS team, client success team that were investing hours in education, customization for them. At Renewal, um, we had a choice really. Uh, keep servicing them, keep the old price point, keep the old product features, um, or fire them and spend those customer success hours with customers that we can delight, um, deprecate those old features and, um, and old tech and free up time for our engineers to focus on, on the roadmap and the future vision. So it, it was an easy decision, really. All right. Digging into the second insight, aligning the commercial team and supporting the customer journey. We heard a number of times about the three-legged stool, and it was a consistent theme. So the three-legged stool can be marketing, sales, operations. It can include finance or other go-to-market functions. Sasha Bacht shares how building a sales plan 
requires insight from the sales team. So we're thinking about stuff like sales tenure, experience, and historical territory success, and pulling in stuff from marketing and the channel teams, as well as customer success to understand and help navigate setting quotas and targets. So these groups have to work together to facilitate the buyer and the customer journey. Ryan D'Souza introduces the idea of a customer journey owner. And that person is there to smooth friction between the different legs of the stool, if you will. Further, by creating cross-functional metrics, for example, marketing being held accountable for things like churn or sales pipeline, the success can be tied together among the different legs of the stool. We're going to keep going with this analogy. It's going to be great. A key moment for me is when Ryan talked about the dangers of these go-to-market teams working in silos. And he believes that the only way you can have a predictable revenue engine is by tying sales and marketing together. I think it's kind of a bold statement. Let's hear him talk about it. You know, my experience, what I've seen is when you have um, siloed approaches to the customer journey, it can create friction in that customer's experience. And that translates into internal friction. I see it every day. And the reality is when you have functional groups like sales, like marketing, like success, reporting into a CEO, they're not focused just on growth. They're focused on a number of different areas of the business as they should be. When you have them unified under a growth leadership, that person's everyday, you know, the reason they get up in the morning and their 24-7 drive is the growth of the business from a revenue and customer perspective. And so that generally has created less silos, more unification, and it's almost like you have a journey owner and that customer journey owner versus having people that own pieces of the journey and expecting the CEO or the president to meld those together to create a unified approach is sometimes difficult. Okay, let's dig into the third insight that we found. And it was about technology and it was about data. So as you can imagine, technology came up a lot, the good and the bad and the ugly of it. The one thing that I did hear a lot is that data is always an issue across every business of every size. This issue snowballs if it's swept into the corner. So tied to that, we heard from Bruce Jackson that fire drills at the end of a fiscal year, for example, can be an issue. However, it's really not that much of a surprise because these questions from senior leaders are often the same. Where are we compared to our target? How solid is our funnel? Are we going to hit the target that we said that we would to the board? The secret to avoiding these fire drills is having a finger on the pulse of your business and your data, and then using tools to extract the good stuff from your data and identifying problems before they become a real issue. This is where one of my favorite what I wish I knew isms comes in. When I was talking with Sasha, we were discussing indicators of problems to come or tremors. Uh, Sasha discussed using data to stay on top of revenue operations, checking in on some of your prevailing assumptions. Some of those might be um, ideal market size, the product sales or product success, a length of a sales cycle, as well as sales cycle assumptions too. So win rates, a time in a particular stage in a sales funnel, um, or even sales tenure. This, along with other indicators, can validate this sense that something might be wrong. Sasha talks a little bit more about this. Let's have a look. Probably heard this stuff before and say, look, if you 
lose a deal, uh, you have to have another deal to replace that deal. That assumes that I'm hiding a deal somewhere. It's not out there. It's not open. And I think, I think it's the wrong approach. I think what's better is, look, bad news is going to happen. You want to know about it as a leadership team as, as soon as possible, uh, so that you can you can adjust. So maybe, you know, your vertical A is having a tough time from a macro perspective. Things are looking bad. Say, okay, cool. Well, then maybe vertical B is the one who can take up the slack. But they won't know that unless vertical A is upfront and feels like they can have that honest conversation that things aren't going well. So that that I've seen that work well in a few places. I think when you can have that open, uh, collaborative environment in sales, it, it really pays off. The fourth insight that we came away with was the impact that market volatility has on sales culture. We alluded to it a little bit at the beginning, but tough markets make for tough times when you're in a sales job. As forecasts shrink, as sales cycles take longer, scrutiny often increases. So much of this stuff is out of seller's control. Buyers need evidence that a solution will work for them. Lags in deals are discouraging. Shrinks in deal sizes are disheartening. That being said, three of our guests talked about different approaches to support selling in tough times like these. Bruce talked about using a spiff that was more like quota retirement rather than quota relief to help drive sales today without sacrificing what future targets are going to look like. Sasha encourages a culture of openness so that setbacks can be problem-solving opportunities rather than moments of failure. Amy shares tips to do it right, um, one of which shows sellers that tech supports the culture and that tech supports winning. Let's have a look and see what Amy has to say. In my own experience, I think I've lived through all of the examples that you've given of, you know, where the inspection becomes paralyzing and th there's, you're doing more of the administration than you are of the selling. Um, I am a, I'm a big believer that if you can demonstrate how this improves your job and improves your role, helps you win, you will often find salespeople are motivated by winning, by, by the, the conversation, by everything that comes along with that. If you can show that this makes it easier for you, I mean, there, there's no better sales pitch than to use the technology. So let's dig into our fifth insight, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Artificial intelligence is top of mind for almost everyone. And some of our guests still see it as an opportunity to sift through and see how it's going to work for their business. In line with some of the research that I've done myself, it seems that there is an excitement about artificial intelligence and certainly a curiosity, but people are uncertain about how they're going to tap into those benefits for their own organization. I loved Ryan's thought on AI that it doesn't do revenue generating things, it helps people to do revenue generating things. Bruce actually had some really great things to say about artificial intelligence as well. Let's have a listen. What I find with these technologies is it, it gives us a much easier way to be able to interact with the data. So we can very quickly pull that uh, answer to a question. Whether we're sitting in an executive boardroom just having one of our meetings, you know, it's easy for us to just pull back and say, well, what percentage of our opportunities fell out of the sales pipeline at this particular stage? 
and, and that then leads us down the path of saying, okay, do we have an, do we have a, a trading issue there? Do we have a sales enablement issue there? Get our sales leaders together to be able to address that. The same thing applies on the on the compensation side as well. You know, as we're trying to look at, you know, different components within there, when we see people not hitting quota, oftentimes there's a story underneath that of why they're not. And so we can start to do some very quick comparisons of, you know, our our top 10 people that are selling a particular set of products against our middle and see how big is the gap? Is it really that big or is it not? So I don't, right, you know, I think that the big difference with the with AI coming in on on the analytics side of it is, is it just gives us, it's that much easier to get access to the data, get the answer back without having to get IT involved. But certainly as well on the, uh, on the commission side, it's also giving us the ability to really put a lot of checks and balances in place as well. And we're just starting to see the use of AI in those modeling environments that I was talking about where they're starting to bring back interesting pieces of data throughout the year that then get wrapped into the sales planning you know, uh, sessions towards the end of the year. And I think that will really start to advance the sales planning, but it will also shorten the cycle of sales planning for a lot of different companies. I hope that you enjoy taking a walk down memory Jacqueline Lane with me. A favorite moment with each of our guests is doing the quick question segment where I get to learn a little bit more about them outside of their technology and business prowess, of course. Here are a few standout responses. My very first response that I loved was when Sasha told us about his favorite meal that his mother cooks, and I invited myself to his mom's house. My second one is when Amy Stevenson told us about a little adventure of sliding down a volcano. And the third, I thought you could have a look at it yourself. So uh, imagine a, a wooden a wooden built house on a lake in winter, snow, ice on the lake. You walk in, there's warm. Uh, you stay there for hours eating course after course of... Uh, different foods, pickled herring under different ways, uh, plenty of aquavit, which is Swedish schnapps, uh, and no one ever asks you to leave. It's uh, really a perfect experience. This season, we talked about addressing market volatility. As we move forward, we're going to be focusing on how to stabilize and build resiliency within your business. One thing that I actually forgot to mention is that in looking back at all of the previous episodes of the season, the very first one was a recap on Accelerate 2023. Two of the things that I really loved seeing was how enthused our clients were about all of the great innovations Verisense has come out with leading up to Accelerate 2023. The second thing that they really loved was being able to network with their peers. The excitement, innovation, and networking continues in May 6th to 9th, 2024 in Boston. We hope to see you there. And we're going to be focused there on fast-tracking your path to resilience. The question that people are asking me to answer is, Jackie, in 2024, what do you wish you knew more about? So I have been doing a ton of reading on artificial intelligence. And in fact, I've been reading a bunch of the research from our chief analytics officer. And I am starting to learn a little bit about the background of artificial intelligence and what I'm really curious to learn more about is the use cases businesses are going to put into action moving forward. 
So that is a wrap on season two. Really look forward to seeing you in 2024.